10, 15. Back up field at the 35 to the 40. 45, 50. That's the 50. 35, 40. That's the 30. To the 20. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Old College Try. This is your host, Tim Hyland, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Mike Unger. Mike, it's football season. Finally, Tim. This seemed like the longest of all off-seasons to me. It was a long off-season, made even longer by the half-hour delay getting our technology set for this podcast, Mike. <laughs> it wouldn't be podcast time if the technology was ready to go. So right. that, that's how I know the season's upon us. It was definitely extra long for me because of the Orioles' record-setting futility. I kind of checked out of baseball much earlier than normal, and it's been uh, it's been a dry few months sports-wise. Um, but it has been, Mike, I will say, an eventful... We, we went through most of college football offseason from... January through, I would say, what, early August, with fairly little in the way of, you know, our typical disastrous college football modern day controversy. Mm -hmm. And then it all came crashing down in the past, like, two weeks. It it caught up to it, didn't it? Right. And some hitting home close to you, Mike, by the way. We'll get more on that later. Jordan McNair, of course, passed away in June. There was nary, almost no blip, almost no mention of it at all in the media. Right. um, until, Until a few months later. So we'll touch on that later because it's something we should be talking about. Um, Mike, we are recording this on the Sunday early evening of week zero. Now, uh, week zero for me is emotionally confusing because in theory, I'm like, oh, this is exciting college football starting. And I went into this weekend fully intending to watch. There's like four or five games available, including I think the biggest one was Wyoming versus who did they play, Mike? New Mexico State. Right, and there was two bowl teams, and in theory, a good game to watch. I wanted to watch it. Wyoming's on my list of places I want to go see a game at. Really? Um, yes, it is. Beautiful stadium there. Um, but in the end, I had a long day yesterday. I fell asleep and didn't watch the game. So, <laughs> did you enjoy any of the football week zero, Mike? I was so excited for week zero, Tim, because next week for Week one, I'll be out of the country, so I'm not sure how much college football I'm going to be able to ingest in lovely Ireland. But uh, so I, I made I kind of made week zero my week one, and I, I got up early. I watched game day. I'll I'll mention uh, a little bit more on that later in the podcast. And uh, I was psyched. I made sure I was home for Hawaii, Colorado State. Tim, you aired that was the big game. Was Hawaii, Colorado State? Uh. My beloved Hawaii uh, Warriors. They were getting 17 ridiculous spread and i took full advantage of that got my first win of the year and it was actually a very very entertaining game hawaii has an, a really good looking quarterback colorado state has a uh, a good looking stadium and a great little college town there in fort collins so i was i was very very excited and i listened to a live simulcast of a tedeschi trucks band concert while i was watching uh while I was watching the hawaii game and having a little bourbon it was a glorious start to the college football season did you have a suitcase of fried chicken too? <laughs> no, no, not not yet. That that I have to get into mid-season form to, to, <laughs> to get that much fried chicken going. All right. So generally speaking, Mike, well, I'm asking this the the broadest question possible. On a scale of one to eleven, let's say, 
How excited are you for this particular college football season? Because to me, it looks like a very interesting season. It does. It does. I'd have to, uh, you know, I'm always excited for the season. And of course, I come at things from a little bit different perspective than a lot of college football fans because my teams really never have a chance to win. So it, it's, it's really quite different than the other the other college football fans. I know I'm, I'm excited for many reasons. One, I'm going to a number of games that I'm very much looking forward to. Um, I think we have some great teams and we have some teams that could kind of sneak into contention. Uh, I don't know if it's as wide open as you think it may, it may be, but uh, I'm, I'm very much, very much looking forward to the season. I think it's actually the most wide open season in the past five seasons, Mike. Oh, wow. You've done your research, huh? Right. I can barely even remember what happened last season. So, Speaking of which, Mike, are you ready for me to count down the AP Top 25? The AP still puts out a Top 25? Good for them. <laughs> yes. Are you ready? And, of course, there's – as I count down, it, it, two of the first three are just comical. Let's start we'll with have that. We'll do this in rapid-fire form because since uh, there's really not much more worthless than a, a preseason po- poll. As evidenced by number 25, Mike – LSU. <laughs> well, they have the uniforms. They have awesome uniforms. They have a nice stadium, new, right? New, new coordinators, as always, and uh, hope springs <laughs> eternal down on the bayou. But they still don't have a quarterback, do they? They still that they're still for some reason they don't, they're not buying into this this modern uh, axiom that you need a good quarterback to win in college football. Right. My understanding of football, and I have a somewhat uh, I know surface understanding of it. I think the most important player in the field is the quarterback. That news hasn't gotten down to, to, to Ed yet, Edo. No. Uh, number 24, Oregon. Uh, a lot of people were criticizing the hiring of Cristobal, right? I, I really don't know much about him. He doesn't seem like an exciting kind of coach for Oregon, though, does he? The problem with Oregon, Mike, is they're not built to win. <laughs> That's right. They had their chance, and now that chance is in Westwood in uh, Los Angeles. Comical number two, number 23, Texas. Ah, Texas. They... They open with the Terps again this year. One year ago, I watched that Maryland-Texas game uh, from my friend's apartment in Shanghai, and I watched on a phone as Maryland absolutely took it to him. I don't think that'll happen again this year, by the way. Uh, I would say the trendiest week one upset pick is Maryland over Texas. That's preposterous, especially in light of what's happened to Maryland in the last two weeks. Absolutely, however, Texas is not very good. No, no, they're not, but (laughs) neither is Maryland. Number 22, Boise State. Uh, Kirk Herbstreit last night or, or yesterday was really singing the praises of Boise State. He thinks they're 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 his group of five team to watch. Number twenty one UCF. Uh, who even took over for UCF after in wake of Scott Frost leaving? I'm not even sure about that. I'm embarrassed to say I can't remember who took over. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to look that up. We're, <laughs> we're still rough. We're still in uh, off season form. Wasn't it the guy? Wasn't it the the old OC at uh, Oklahoma or something? Yeah, Josh Heupel. Yep. There you go. All right. Okay. Uh, number twenty, Vatech. Uh, Fuente's got a nice little program going there. They're opening on Monday night, right against uh, against the Knolls. That's a, that's an exciting game for Monday night. I would not want my team to play in the Labor Day Monday opening weekend game. No, definitely not. That's uh, Sunday night blues times ten, really on a uh, on a three day weekend that and, night. And Plus, you've had, a whole, you've had a whole weekend of of you know partying and watching football, and you're physically, especially two old guys like us, Tim, we're going to be tired by Monday night. Nineteen Florida State, led by now Willie Taggart, correct? Yep, Florida State. Who knows if they're going to be good or not? Right? It's, they have some they have some experience coming back at at, um, at quarterback, but. It does seem like uh, they're in the, those rankings just because they're Florida State, right? 
Yep. Uh, number 18. Now, last year, you and I attempted to adopt Oklahoma State, right? Yeah, I did adopt them. I even went to a game in Stillwater. So, so I, I failed. I can say, I, I, yeah, I, I did my part. <laughs> I traveling failed. Traveling to Stillwater. That's, you, you definitely did your part. <laughs> this year, I'm adopting the Mississippi State Bulldogs at number 18, led by, of course, Joe Moorhead now, Mike. I knew you would do that because you love Joe Moorhead from his days as the Penn State OC, right? And also his, his roots as head coach of Fordham. That's right. A, a very historic program for him. They still keep a locker for Vince Lombardi, don't they? That's right. Um, and I think th- there is a team that could – look, I think ranked at 18 is a good place for them. Like Nick Fitzgerald, fantastic quarterback. Yeah. They could very easily and very quickly find themselves in the top five, I think, Mike. They're a good team. I saw an interview with Moorhead, and he kind of reminded me in demeanor of David Cutcliffe. Yes. Uh, you know, just very studious, not a guy you would look at and say, well, this is a real rah-rah coach, but unquestionably smart and uh, seems like he can win at a at a, a traditional non-blue blood, red blood, if you will. Speaking of uh, red bloods, uh, <laughs> West Virginia number 17, another team, again, based on having a fantastic quarterback and kind of a crazy coach, but it's – and in, in a, in a, in a, to my mind, a weak, wide-open Big 12 where the best team, Oklahoma, is replacing their best player, look out for the Mountaineers. Yeah, a lot of people. West Virginia, very trendy pick in the Big 12. A lot of people. And uh, I've heard a lot of chatter about the Heisman for Will Greer as well. Number 16. Now, Mike, my turn to plan our next trip is still two years away. Uh, that's right. I'm planning this year. No, you're planning next year's, right? Who did, who planned last? No, you planned last year, yes. right? Okay, yes. yeah, two years away. On my short list, <laughs> number 16, TCU, Mike. Oh, that would be cool. Their stadium looks awesome, doesn't it? And I've heard it's a very unique and fantastic tailgating scene. I would believe that. I've been to uh, Fort Worth, and it's a, it's a cool little town. They really take their cowboying and their stakes seriously there. So as listeners may know, you and I work in the world of universe, university publications and communications. That's as far as we'll get into it. Right. Yeah. Um, and in our world, so you meet people that do different things. I went to a conference a couple of years ago and met the people who were the communications team from TCU. And I believe they told me at that time that they had officially rebranded the university as TCU. They're no longer Texas Christian University. They are just TCU. You'll, you won't see Texas Christian anywhere or Texas Christian University in any of their official documents? No. Hmm. Interesting, right? Uh, I guess to people in our small little world of university communications. <laughs> the next five, Mike. I love the next five. This is a great group of five. Ready? Let's, let's hear them all five, and I'll chime in on one or two. 15 USC, 14 Michigan, 13 Stanford, 12 Notre Dame, 11 Sparty, 10 Penn State. Well, Penn State seems possibly a little underrated to me, and uh, it's underrated as well for Stanford. I think Stanford could have a, could have a great year and could win the Pac-12. One thing with Stanford – and I've heard this um, last year. Apparently, they had unusually good results both in turnovers and also red zone scoring. So mm. the likelihood of them repeating that not great. So they could they could end up being borderline top twenty five. And well, my next huh. question is that's about some sol- that. that's some solid research, Tim. Right, um, nine Auburn. Uh, what a what a week one game against Washington, right? Uh, Huge. What other, what other sport has week one games that will have such uh, ramifications throughout the entire country for the whole season? And also, I mean, like just 
that that game will reverberate regional pride wise for like the yes. next year and a half. <laughs> yes, I don't think the SEC fans will be able to stomach it if if a team from Seattle comes in and beats them. No, uh, eight to my mind, the most overrated team in the top twenty-five, the Miami Hurricanes. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. They they're really getting a lot of juice off their start last year, and they didn't really beat anybody great in that start. And they, you talk about Stanford getting a bunch of good bounces right. last year. That same thing happened to Miami in the first nine games of the season. Absolutely. Uh, I'm sorry. Another overrated team, number seven, Oklahoma. You just don't replace a Baker Mayfield without there being any kind of drop off. Yeah, but the the, the quarterback coming in, uh, their, their millionaire baseball playing quarterback, which is an interesting uh, dynamic. Uh, he's got experience. He's a, he's a good athlete, from what everyone everyone seems to say. And the Big Twelve, there's not a dominant team. I could I wouldn't be surprised if Oklahoma won it. Number six, Washington. This this is a, this is the year we're going to see. I think whether. Peterson can really take Washington to that to that next level. They did make the playoff, but they looked overmatched, right, in their game. But they have, uh, you know, with the quarterback coming back and, and a lot of skill position players coming back, this could be a great year for them. Five, Ohio State. Wow, where do you even start with Ohio State? Of course, they're loaded with talent, right? Um, how will they react to the suspension? Uh, they're they're still a contender though in the in the uh, Big Ten, no doubt about that. Number four, I love this, four, Wisconsin. Yeah, Wisconsin's primed for a huge year, I think. Three, Georgia. Talent, 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 talent everywhere. And you'll be shocked, Mike, that number two, number one are Clemson and Alabama. There's there's really two. Uh, it, it's, it's Clemson and Alabama have separated themselves, obviously, in the last three years as the royalty of the sport. Well, Alabama was already there, but Clemson's joined them. Um, and Georgia, I think, if they if Georgia can get in this year, then they'll have two in a row, and it'll kind of be those three and the rest. Yep. All right, Mike. And they're so, all in the South. So I just read to you the top 25. Mm-hmm. I'm going to reread to you the top 10 after I give you this amazing fact. In 15 out of the past 16 years in college football, exactly one team from the preseason AP top 10 has ended the year completely outside the top 25. Hmm. Only one out of the, well. Only one in 15 out of the past 16 years. So like at least one every year, or just one every year for Mm -hmm. 15 past 16 has finished out of the top 25, last year being Florida State. And look back to this time last year, everyone thought that Florida State was a top five team, right? Mm-hmm. They lost their first game, of course. So I'm going to read you again the top 10. It is Penn State, Auburn, Miami, Oklahoma, Washington, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Georgia, Clemson, Alabama. If the trend holds true, one of them will finish the year likely 7-5-ish, and five-ish, something like that, mm. and outside of the top 25. Who would be your most likely candidate? Uh, I'd probably have to go with Washington. Uh, they could or Washington or Auburn, really. The team that loses that, you know... Maybe they weren't as good as people thought they were. Then they, they're both in tough leagues. They could lose a couple games in, early on in the leagues. Um, so between those two, I'd probably – I'd have to go with Washington. I think Miami jumps out to me. Mm-hmm. But, again, it's, it's kind of uh, cheating a little bit. But given what's happened to Ohio State and given their schedule – and given the fact, and this is what I'm kind of stuck on with Ohio State, like, of course they have talent, but last year Florida State had talent too. Um, what's the one piece? So those, those teams in the Big Ten East, right? Two of them have a returning uh, proven quarterback. Right. One has an incoming transfer proven quarterback. 
And Ohio State does it. They have a kid who had a great half against Michigan. Yep. Right? It's an awful lot for me, given all that's happening, to believe that Haskins will just pick up where Barrett left off after, like, what, 1,800 years at Ohio State. Yeah, <laughs> incredible play. That's a lot. That's a lot to put on a kid. It is. It's a very good point, especially now that, uh, you know, that he won't have Meyer for, for a few games. Um, yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a bold prediction. I just think Ohio State has so much talent everywhere, year in and year out. For, the, the, for me to think that they would finish outside the entire top 25, that would be an Urban Meyer team. That would be tough to swallow. The last time I think it happened... The last time they had a truly bad year was, of course, in the year after Trestle was fired. Right. When uh, Luke Fickle took over, right? And I think they finished, what, six and six that year? Six and six, I think, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, I don't want to linger on the, on the Urban Meyer thing. We should address it, right? So, it happened. It's been a nonstop <laughs> like, yeah. focus for, God, no, two weeks now. The press conference where it was announced that Urban Meyer was suspended was painful to watch. It was a just... PR disaster. He looked like he was being taken hostage or being dragged to the dentist for dental work. I mean, he looked he looked like there was someone with a gun to the back of his head forcing him to say that what he said. He just didn't did, did not come off well. Like no, just it looked awful. And I mean, he 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 looked like he had a complete lack of understanding about what what why what if whether he did anything wrong at all. Right. Um, you know, he may he probably thinks he did nothing wrong at all, but he just did not understand, or at least it came off he didn't understand, you know, anything about why he was in this the position that he was in. And then he issues a statement, what two days later, uh, on Twitter, right? You know, finally apologizing to Courtney Smith and acknowledging that he did a horrible job. That now, how disingenuous does that come off? Oh, I know. This just, this just adds to his reputation, of course, that, you know, of how he was at Florida. This is on this is going on his permanent record. Say what you will about him. He's a great coach. But, uh, you know, this is on This is going on his permanent record. And this is a part of Urban Meyer's legacy. Yeah. And again, like it's one of these things where it's like, all right, I understand there's a lot of nuance here and the rest of right. it. To my mind, it boils down to it seems pretty apparent that the Zach Smith guy not the best dude, right? He's a maniac. Like, right. He's got a pretty bad guy. Why did you hire him in the first place based on what you knew it happened at Florida? And then why did you keep him after all these things happened? Even stuff that had nothing to do with Courtney Smith, yeah, right? Yeah, exact, exactly. Exactly. It's like, uh, it's so it just, it's a bad, bad, bad look. And I yeah. think it's a symptomatic of we've seen it time in, in college basketball. We've seen it in college football, of course. These coaches are treated like literally. And I'm saying this, and I'm not trying to exaggerate. They're treated like gods, right? And they begin to think that they don't have to answer anybody. But and I'm they, sorry, you do. <laughs> right? And of course, and they think. I mean, they they live in such a bubble too, and, and you know, all they think about is football, and right. all you know. And of course, he Zach Smith. For the, I'm sure everyone knows Earl Bruce's grandson. Yes, right? yes. And I'm sure that did play into it a little bit. Uh, that he probably got chance after chance after chance after chance. But this is a very troubled person. If you read that report, um, not to, let, let alone all the uh, issues in the media or all the uh, coverage in the media, you put it perfectly. Even if uh, he and Courtney Smith had no problems with each other whatsoever. He was doing a lot of very, very, very bizarre and unacceptable things. 
Yeah, stuff that you get fired for typically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. That's what happens, <laughs> right? Anyway, so we set our piece on we that. Do. I do think, um, and this is your point too. Like, I, I, I've heard it said so many times where people are like, even like analysts, I kind of respect, are like, all right, you know, we, we know this is a disruption, but Ohio State is so talented, they'll still be fine. And I'm like, well, there's a reason why Urban Meyer gets paid whatever seven million dollars a year. And it's not to not be involved coaching the team. Like it's, I completely agree. And look at look at the Ohio State before Urban Meyer. Right. They were very good, of course. Can they go nine and three? Probably, but Ohio State doesn't want to go nine and three. They want to go twelve and one. You know. Yeah. Like you think in the context of of Nick Saban. All right. And I don't think people they look at him as like, oh, he's a great recruiter, right? He's built this whole corporation. He's got all the money. All true, right? But Nick Saban is literally still a position coach. Right. Mm-hmm. He coaches defensive backs at Alabama and he's involved in every minute detail of the program. So is Urban Meyer. Right. So you can't tell me take him out of the mix for what, five weeks and things just continue as planned. It doesn't work that way. It just doesn't. Right. Also, you made a great point. I don't want to linger on Urban too much, but you said he's involved in every part of the program. There's no doubt about that. And yet he feigns you know, ignorance on so many things that Zach Smith did. It's just not believable. Right. All right, moving on quickly to the next depressing topic. And this one to me is <laughs> like a, even worse, symptomatic, worse. again, of a larger issue for the game. So listeners should know, my oldest son is now, Mike, he's starting high school. That's hard to believe. And uh, yes. even more hard to believe is that he's playing football. Yes, he's playing football. So he's quit soccer. He's done with soccer, Mike. I'm well, sure you're happy with that. Move. Yes. <laughs> um, but he's playing football now. And look, not the biggest kid in the world. <laughs> How much does he weigh? I was going to ask that. So he got, he got weighed in. He weighs exactly 101 pounds. <laughs> playing nose guard? No, he's playing DB and like where you would think he would play, right? He's yeah. a small kicker. guy Thanks. and a, kicker, right? I um, I went to his first scrimmage. Look, he's loving it. He's having a he's having a blast. He survived two days, the rest of it. But he gets out there against kids who are bigger than him, and he gets in the parlance of the game. He gets trucked. Like it happens, <laughs> right? So th- this is so that's my introduction to the fact that okay, football is by its very nature a violent sport right it is about being violent to your opponent and there has been over the years this i don't know how to describe it in the coaching world this like militaristic um what like macho kind of thing where it's like the whole idea is like to push players to their breaking point Mm -hmm. right we know now that that's complete BS. And the coaches have actually had great success in this game. I think it moved away from that using sports science and optimizing players' ability. And it's not right. about running them into the ground, right? That's, right? That doesn't work. Anyway, brings us to Maryland, where this poor kid um, clearly was pushed too far at a practice session. The coaches weren't attuned to it. The trainer was not attuned to it. He had suffered heat stroke, went to the hospital. Ultimately, he died. Report came out and basically said that they, what, dropped the ball, right, Mike? Mm-hmm. Well, that was, that was months, of course, after he passed away that uh, ESPN filed their report that, that changed everything. A um, couple things on this. DJ Durkin, first of all, he's not a winning coach. <laughs> right. So – He's, he's got a losing record at Maryland, and, and some of the things in that article written by Heather Dinich and some other people at ESPN, great article, incredible reporting, great um, investigating by that team. Uh, what it showed was, was this kind of Neanderthal approach 
to training. And right. you're right. It just everything I read that Maryland's trainers did, you know, having a kid try to lose who's trying to lose weight, forcing him to eat candy bars in front of the team and things like that. Yeah. It all struck me as things absolutely no winning program would ever dream of doing. It's Stone it, Age it, stupid stuff. It's, it's stupid. Stone Age stupid stuff, and it struck me as something you'd hear about from a losing program, right. which is what which is what Maryland is. And if I could just say one more thing that I've got to get off my chest. When this report came out, Will Muschamp, who apparently oh. is friends with DJ Durkin or yeah. is, used to work with him or something, he blasted the media – Instead, did not say a single word about this poor kid who died, blasted the media uh, for using, quote, anonymous sources. And it was just such a tone deaf reaction. Uh, he basically showed his ignorance and naivete by his reaction to, to being asked about DJ Dirk. And it was it was disgraceful and pathetic. And uh, I dislike Will Muschamp uh, intensely now and will be rooting against South Carolina for the rest of my life until he's uh, gone from there. Well, it's, it's, it's always very uh, easy to blame the media, right, Mike? It's the media's fault for yeah, everything. Yeah, right, exactly. The media, by the way, finally got some justice for uh, for this kid's parents. Um, you know, Maryland deserves some credit for the way the president and athletic director did step up at that press conference and accept the responsibility, albeit it was months, months late and never would have happened without this report from ESPN. Exactly. Uh, one last point on this. I mentioned it before. So um, one of the most revolutionary coaches – in recent all of football history was Chip Kelly. Yeah. Chip Kelly got to, to Oregon, right? Again, as as listeners know, I'm not a big believer in Oregon as a program being able to compete on a national level for, for championships. But the biggest, the single biggest reason why he had success there, it was not about Nike money. It was not about recruiting. He was not a good recruiter. He was on the cutting edge when it came to sport science and optimizing his players' health and ability and getting the most out of them. And that has nothing to do with all that crap they were doing at Maryland. And these yeah. things the programs do. It's about following the science of what it takes. It's about sleep and hydration, right? Yeah. All this stuff that science says actually works. And all the prog problems football has right now, right, these these coaches with their old school bullcrap, they get, they better wake up to what actually works and what is in the best interest of their players. And it's not what they were doing when they were like, you know, they were in high school. That right, stuff's over. Right. So move well, on. You, you, you mentioned science a lot in that uh, in that rant, Tim. And yeah. uh, a lot of people in this country just do not believe in science. And it's very tough to to talk sense to them. But uh, I, I did hear Rick Neuheisel, who we love on Sirius XM, right? Mm -hmm. uh, talking about Chip Kelly and how he studied the Premier League, English Premier League soccer teams to see, he learned some of his um, philosophies on training and, and things like that from, uh, from English Premier League. I thought you would appreciate that. Well, I was, I, I was going to go there because there's, you're going to be going, traveling over and you're going to see an Arsenal-Chelsea game, Mike, I believe, right? 98%. Right. So, Arsenal's former manager, Arsene Wenger, took Arsenal and made them the best team probably in the world because he was ahead of the time when it came to the same thing, sports science. He had his players eating well and drinking enough water, all this stuff that, like, traditionally, these guys were out in the pubs, right? And he's like, no, 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 you're going to be doing things that make sense science-wise. And within a year, they were the best team in the world. So it's just simple, simple. Yeah.
right? Well, that's enough soccer talk. Moving on. <laughs> Mike, top storylines for the season chosen by me randomly. Okay? Okay. Bama is once again the overwhelming number one team in the country, and I don't think anyone would argue with that. Right? I do think this year's Alabama team is the most vulnerable in the since the early Saban years. This Why is not this is not a this is not a vintage dominant Bama team. So much focus has been placed on Tua versus Jalen Hurts at quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. They'll be fine at quarterback. There's been there's holes to fill on defense. There's a question mark at tailback. I'm not Look, they are, are they a top eight team guaranteed? Absolutely no question about that. Are they guaranteed the te- best team in the country? No. I well, I can see them you, finishing you, third in the SEC West. I don't know about that. But you, you say there are holes to fill. True, of course. But traditionally, Alabama has excelled at filling, at filling holes. Well, one thing I would say about the quarterback battle is People have really written off Jalen Hurts, it seems. Right. And he was phenomenal for much of the time that he was in there. He struggled big time toward the end of the year, and he struggled, obviously, throwing the ball in the national championship game. But I wouldn't count, I wouldn't sleep on Hurts, and I wouldn't anoint Tua as the Heisman front runner or a guaranteed superstar right off the bat. I think, uh, I think they're both going to play a lot, and I think I wouldn't be surprised if Hurts emerges as a starter. I think I agree with you. And even if Tua is the starter, Jalen Hurts is going to play. Yeah, and and uh, they'll find a way to use him. Storyline number two, understatement. I think Mike, it's a pretty big year for Jim Harbaugh. He's got to do something eventually, right? He's got to beat Mich- Michigan State. He's got to beat Ohio State. He's he's got to get to a Big Ten title game. He's got to get to the playoff. He's got to beat Notre Dame. It's, he's got to. It's time to put up or shut up for him. I think, right? And I don't see him shutting up. <laughs> well, he's been quieter, it must be said, right? He's been less in the news. Well, um, except for his his uh, uh, declaration that he doesn't eat chicken because they're nervous animals. <laughs> I love that. Um, so I don't buy that he's in the hot seat. Like, nah, like who, are they, who are they going to hire in his place? Right, like, exactly. I mean, it's, uh, it's done. But yeah. at some point, Michigan fans, being the grumpy fans they can be, Will start asking like, "Oh, is this what we're paying nine million dollars a year for?" Because it's, it has he has not quite delivered. Now, granted, he's not he's not had a quarterback, and you and I both agreed last year's situation for quarterback was oh, really bad. And there's nothing he could do to coach those guys. They were just not good enough. They were just not good enough, right? Yeah. Um, I think Patterson at least is a proven commodity. Now, whether or not Patterson works in in Harbaugh's offense is a whole different question because he's not really the quintessential Harbaugh quarterback, but he's a talented kid. Um, Defensively, they're phenomenal. Michigan's going to be phenomenal on defense. Um, But they do, they need to win 10 games this year. Yeah. I I agree. They get it. And they have, they have to be of, of Notre Dame, Michigan state and Ohio state. I think they had to need to win two out of those three. I would totally agree. Um, speaking of coaches facing a big year. Now, this guy, I would say, in a weird way on the hot seat, Brian Kelly at Notre Dame has done an okay job. And I, so do think, down. I do think Notre Dame is a tougher job now than it's ever been in its history. I think mm-hmm. organizationally, in the television landscape, 
the advantages they had for so long just are not there anymore. I don't think right. it's a sexy program for a lot of kids around the country. Um, I think I, I absolutely steadfast believe them not being in a conference hurts them so badly. I think this halfway being in the ACC is ridiculous. It doesn't do anything for them. I think it yeah. hurts them more than anything. Um, it's a hard job. I don't think anyone drops in there and wins like they used to win. And you think about it, like the only guy in the past, in our in our lifetime, I think, Mike, who won there in a big way was Lou Holtz. He's the only guy who did it. And there's been guys there who've done horribly. And that's not a coincidence, right? It's a tough place to win anymore, at least the level they've used to won. So they're not going to fire Brian Kelly either. I can see Brian Kelly getting frustrated and leaving. Yeah, so could I. Uh, now, you say Notre Dame, not a sexy program for a lot of kids. I would agree with you definitely there. Do you think wearing hideous New York Yankee-inspired pinstripe uniforms will make uh, make Notre Dame then attractive to, to your 18-year-old prospect? If people haven't seen those, there, it's we've, we've, had, grace. We've, we have had some truly awful alternative uniforms. None of them are even close to this, how bad this one is. First of all. And is there a better marriage than (laughs) than the Notre Dame and the New York Yankees? It's a perfect match. They can work some Duke in there, some Lakers. Exactly. (laughs) So, again, if you folks, if you've not seen them, I encourage you to Google them. Look for the – they're playing who that day? Boston College or something? Yeah, I think they're playing in Yankee Stadium there. So, literally, Notre Dame, even in their current state where they're not what they were – Arguably, the most iconic program in the history of college football, with a history that is almost unmatched by anyone. Some of the greatest coaches of all time, Heisman winners, lore, the rest of it. They shame themselves with this (laughs) uniform. (laughs) They are riding the coattails of the New York Yankees, right? You can argue the New York, that the, the Notre Dame brand is just as big as the Yankees brand, but the Notre Dame Fighting Irish are wearing essentially Yankees uniforms in this game. It blows my mind. It blows they're my mind. Syrac- they're playing Syracuse, by the way. Oh, of course, Syracuse. Yeah, uh, yeah it, it's 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 truly it's truly disgraceful. I would be irate if I was a, if I was a Notre Dame fan. But then who knows? If I was a Notre Dame fan, I'd probably be a Yankee fan too. <laughs> That's right. Um, Mike, last one. The aforementioned Chip Kelly, to me, now this this might be the one thing, the lever that gets pulled to actually make me make the effort to stay up for the late Pac-12 games. I think Chip Kelly at UCLA is fascinating for two reasons. One, I think he's back at home in college football. Two, by all accounts, UCLA, to get Chip Kelly had to make some long overdue investments in the program, in the infrastructure, in the facilities, the rest of it, right? If they get the facility stuff right, if they get the funding right, the recruiting budget right, the stadium right, there are few places in the country more attractive to go than play at UCLA. That is a cool place to go play, right? Oh, absolutely. It's it's like a, a sleeping giant out there. And Plus, he's going to have time. You know, you're, yes. you're not going to have a rabid fan base that's going to, you know, be screaming for his head if they lose a couple games. He'll have time. You have the wet, perfect weather. Can you, I mean, there's no um, for his throwing. You know, his passing attack. It's it's the absolute perfect climate and setting, right? I think it's a a great fit for him. And and I agree. I think he could get he could get UCLA rolling. And plus, the the South, the Pac-12 South, wide open every year. It seems. And the other thing too is. 
I'm not blown away by USC right now. No, me either. Who would and you then, rather have? Who would you rather have coaching for you, Chip Kelly or Clay Helton? Right. I mean, like most people in this country, even like halfway college football fans, couldn't tell you the coach of USC. They wouldn't. Right. Know. Right. Right. Um, and the thing is, Chip Kelly. I know the, the knock on him, and it's true. He doesn't, doesn't love recruiting. Okay. Right. <laughs> the good news <laughs> is you're in LA, surrounded by players, so you can yeah. you can drive. 20 minutes, the nearest recruit. It's better for him than being in yep. Oregon. Um, Mike, any other storylines jumping out to you? Uh, will the Indiana Hoosiers get to six wins? Of course, we just <laughs> uh, suspended our leading rusher from last year and suspended a linebacker. Tough start for IU. I think the, the country is will be uh, waiting on bated breath to see how to see how Indiana does. A couple new coaching hires I think uh, I'm going to be paying very close attention to. One of them is Scott Frost in Nebraska. Yeah. I think he has the opportunity to kind of modernize that program. And again, in the Pac or the Big Ten West, wide, uh, historically pretty wide open, Wisconsin kind of rules the roost now. But I think Scott Frost could really be an excellent hire at, uh, at Nebraska as well. Um, there was one other. Oh, I think Jimbo Fisher, too, could be interesting. At A and M, yeah, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, the SEC is just—it's so—it's so competitive. Um, it, it will be interesting to see how he does. Um, and lastly, Mike, and this will be a segue into our games of the week, Mike, coming up here shortly. Um, one of the coolest developments of the past half year in college football. Now, you and I both, I think, are admirers of Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern, correct? Love, love Pat Fitz. I love that he's been there as a player. He won there as a player. He's been there as a coach, has had chances to go elsewhere. He's stuck with Northwestern. He's loyal to the institution. They're loyal to him. Everybody is great, right? If if my son was good enough to play college football, I would love him to go to Northwestern. How about Northwestern's new football facility? <laughs> have oh, you seen my it? <laughs> God. I have, seen, I have seen it. It is a palace. It's a palace right on the water. Right. I mean, it, 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 yeah. I mean, it, it'll be worth what? A uh, half game to a game for Northwestern, take absolutely, from, from absolutely, eight to nine wins or something. But it's great that he he could stay there and get that kind of facility built uh, built in Evanston. But yeah, it's so much nicer than their stadium, right? Their stadium, I've never been. Have you been to their stadium? Yes, Ryan Field, yeah, Ryan Field. But the way it appears on television, it looks extraordinarily small, yeah, and not very nice. No, no, uh, but. <laughs> That is in direct contrast to their football facility that looks extraordinarily big and extraordinarily nice. I, again, I could the numbers could be wrong, but I, I I remember when I sent it to you guys when they the pictures appeared in the first story. So you know, Clemson had built this much ballyhooed facility, and it was like a sixty million dollar or eighty million dollar facility. It had like what the the golf course and the right. the lazy Funny river great. or something, I, whatever. All this crazy <laughs> stuff. It has the lazy river. It's got a nap room, right? I think I think the number for this Northwestern thing was something like 160 million dollars. It is 260. It's an airport hangar. It's enormous. 260 million Walter <laughs> Athletic Center. So Northwestern of all places now has the best football facility in the country, which is crazy. What is um, the ceiling for these facilities? I mean, obviously no one will stop building until you know now someone wants to build one, you know, bigger and better than Northwestern's. But when does this all stop, or can it stop? No, it won't. I mean, I, I look at I look at Penn State. I know what Penn State's football facility is. It's a garage. It's like it was the first generation. It was a big deal just to have an indoor facility. It was like 
it's a shed, a big shed, right? <laughs> so you know James Franklin's in the ADs here saying like, hey, oh, yeah. look at what Northwestern is doing here, and I've won a Big Ten championship. I need a facility, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. It's never going to stop. And you think, yeah. too, what's the over-under on the number of years until Clemson either A, renovates their facility <laughs> or it, builds well, a new one? <laughs> you know, it's never-ending. As, as we mentioned, you and I are both uh, employed in the world of universities, the the building never stops. It's no. perpetual. The, the, once you finish your new building, you need to start a campaign for your next one. And that's just kind of how the beast goes. And I think athletics football facilities are the same way. Mike, games of the week. We have games. We actually in... have games, Tim. I'm so excited. Right. So you ready for this one? Speaking of Northwestern, I, to me. So, of course, week one, the games start Thursday evening. There's a host of games. The biggest one, the most fun one. And people, I think, may laugh. I'm not being sarcastic here or facetious. This I can is a my Clemson fans laughing right now. <laughs> this is a legitimately. First of all, Northwestern is good this year, and Purdue last year made a huge step forward. They're getting better too. Northwestern at Purdue, 8 p.m. ESPN. I will be watching, Mike. I'll be very excited. I may make some slow cook ribs for this one. Oh wow, that's a that's a good move. I thought you were going to say you're going to have a couple boiler makers for this one. No, oh, I could do that uh, too. Purdue, two-and-a-half-point favorite at home. What a coaching matchup. Pat Fitz against Brom. Um, as an Indiana fan, I'm just devastated by how good a coach Brom seems and the fact that I, I can only hope that he has a great year this year and then he goes somewhere else. But uh, these are two middle-tier big – this is an important game for the middle-tier of the Big Ten. I, I was thinking the other day, actually, Mike – I think Brom being at Purdue is a bad thing for Indiana going forward. Yeah, very bad. Now, Tim, I will be at, at the airport in Philadelphia while this game uh, t- kicks off. What are the percentage chances that this game will be on one of the bars in the airport in Philadelphia? Hmm. I, I think it's a decent chance, actually. A decent chance. Yeah. And I will say, too, Philadelphia Airport sucks flying in of and out of because there's so much traffic. You're always sitting on the runway either trying to find a gate to get to or trying to leave. But I will say the amenities in the actual uh, airport are very nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Phil's are having a good year, right? So they'll, they'll be on a couple TVs and uh, Pennsylvania's big 10 country now. So uh, maybe it will be on uh, Mike Friday evening. Some good games too. How about army at Duke? I like that one. Yeah. Very good. Duke 13 and a half point favorites opened at 11. Uh, so the betters, definitely like duke that's a fun game i'm I, I, one of the best developments in college football the past couple of years has been uh jeff munkin's uh engineering of army back to respectability right. i love that that's 7 p.m on espnu we have also san diego state at number 13 stanford i mentioned before i think stanford could be vulnerable S- san diego state my coach by whom uh rocky long rocky long all the coaches in the country love rocky long yeah they do and it's a great great coach name What's the what's the line in this one, Mike? Stanford by fourteen and a half. Ooh, I think I like San Diego State there, Mike. You like the Aztecs, huh? Yeah. How about this one? Colorado at Colorado State, nine thirty, CBS Sports Network. I love a week one rivalry game. Oh, but please move this game back to campus. Right. Colorado, Colorado State should be in Boulder or Fort Collins. Both of those are awesome college towns. Granted, they're not the football hotbeds like, you know, Tuscaloosa or something, but they're great college towns. And this game should rather than play it at the Broncos Stadium in Denver, which sits right near a highway in a crowded city. Um, Colorado, seven and a half point favorite. Colorado St- State looked atrocious against Hawaii for the first two and a half quarters. 
then mounted a furious comeback, but they were just a little too far back. But they showed a little character in coming back. I really felt bad for Mike Bobo, of course, Colorado State's coach, who has been hospitalized for about two weeks with numbness in his feet. He had just been released the day before, I think, for this game. He was So he wasn't coaching, but he was sitting up in the box, kind of just watching and talking to the coaches. And boy, did he look miserable. I felt bad for him. They kept showing him on TV the whole time. And for a coach to have no control like that, that's right. got to be tough for them. Right. Um, Mike, Saturday. Now, n- not a blockbuster week one, but a few decent games, I would say. They're, they're kind of stacked toward the evening. Here we go. I'll go uh, first. We'll start with Oregon State at number five, Ohio State, noon ABC. Mike, let's face it. Oregon State's terrible. They're one of the worst programs in, the, in all of the FCS world, right? All of the big five. Um, I'd just be curious to see Ohio State plays this game. Also, I a sleepy noon Big Ten kick. Ohio State, 37-point favorites oh. over the Beavers. Now, I, I would ordinarily agree with you with the noon kick, but I think in light of everything that's happened, you're going to see Ohio State come out with a chip on their shoulder, kind of defiant us against the world as if somehow Urban Meyer has been wronged. And I expect the Buckeyes to annihilate the Beavers. How do you feel about Florida Atlantic at number seven, Oklahoma? Here for what reason, Mike? For Lane Kiffin, right? Lane, Lane Train. The Lane Train. Now, now I was very interested. This is an interesting, intriguing matchup because Florida Atlantic had a great offense last year, right? Oklahoma, not really. Their defense was improved last year, but play great defense in the Big 12, Tim. No, they no, don't. no, no, no. Um, so I, I thought this is this is kind of an an interesting matchup. I'm trying to find the the line. I think it was at Oklahoma's favored by about twenty. Um, what time is the kick on that one? We have hold on. We have uh, it's got to be early. It is a yeah. noon kick. Yeah, noon kick. I think that's a, a twenty and a half uh, Oklahoma favorite. I would watch that one if I was you know on this continent, but I won't be. FAU is a the big favorite to win their conference. By the way, so yeah, they're, they're a good team. And look. Lane can be what he described as enigmatic, maybe Mike, <laughs> but Cocky. he he can call a game, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. He. There's no doubt about that. Everyone would agree there. And yes, it's a twenty and a half point spread for the Sooners. Number twenty three, Texas at Maryland, Mike. Uh, yeah. Now we we already talked about <laughs> thirteen thirteen point um, Texas a thirteen point favorite. I'm not very high on. Uh, Maryland this year and the atmosphere attempt to describe the atmosphere it is a noon kick and this game will be played at FedEx Field Tim. FedEx Field in Landover Maryland home of the worst football facility in all of America whether it's the NFL or college Uh, there will be no Maryland exactly no Maryland fans there I bet you do get some solid Texas fans but that's going to be an atmosphere atmosphere free atmosphere free uh, football game people we've discussed in the show before and I, I i'm trying to explain to people in a way that they can understand what a miserable horrible place fedex field is if i was offered free tickets and 50 dollars <laughs> to go to redskins game i don't think i would go oh i would i've i've turned down so many free redskin tickets and you know it's a, the redskins finally had this is a brief aside but it shows you how miserable of an organization the Redskins are. <laughs> uh, they claim for years and years and years to have a 200,000 seat waiting list for season tickets. And they, they declared that something like they had 300 and something straight uh, sellouts. 
Meanwhile, half the stadium is filled. You can get a ticket for $5 on StubHub, any game for the last two years, because no one wants to go there. And they finally admitted this offseason, yeah, we were just lying about the waiting list. There, there was no waiting list. Anyone can get any. Anyone can come buy a ticket from us whenever you want. Right. Mike, here's a big one. How are you feeling about Villanova at Temple? I'm not feeling anything about it. What's the, what's the buzz up there in the Philadelphia area? Here's my buzz on this. So there's been an ongoing discussion. I think Temple is moving forward on plans to build their own stadium. Oh, in, it's so it's so needed. Right. It's going to be awesome. It's in North Philly. Now, of course, the neighbors are against it. I understand it. Who wants a stadium in their neighborhood? However, right. if they build this, right? Tim will come. I, I can, and I will. I can walk to a train station, get on the train. 20 minutes later, I'm at a football game, Mike. I, it could be great. Tim, that's called living in a city. <laughs> Hundreds of millions of people can do the same thing. But it's... A stadium at a on a college camp. I'm not the Eagle Stadium, Mike. Who would no, go there? No, yeah, you're right. You're right. I can't. Yeah, you're you're right. That's that's pretty sweet. I would, I I would, committing here and now. If Temple builds that stadium, I will come up for a game. Almost as big as the Villanova Temple rivalry. How about Houston at Rice, Mike? That's an intercity <laughs> rivalry too. Hey, that's right. Uh, and I will be in the great city of Houston. Uh, in 13 days, one well, actually one week from this coming Friday, I will be in the city of Houston. For what? Uh, I'm going to. I'm flying in there, seeing our mutual friend Danielle, and then driving to College Station for the Texas A&M Clemson game. Remarkable, Mike. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll talk more about that on next week's show. What my plans are, but I'm uh, very excited. How about number six, Washington at number nine, Auburn? Now, there's a game, Mike. That's an awesome game. Um, interesting game because Washington start. It opened as Washington as a two and a half point favorites, and now Auburn are, are, is the two and a half point favorite. Um, yeah, that that's that to me in my mind. That's the the one of the two most interesting Week One games um, because of not just what it does for those programs, but for the entire playoff outlook and uh, those two conferences as well. Yeah, look. That's a game where if you're a Kyle, it, look, if you're a fan of the game, of course you'd love that game. If you're a fan of one of those teams, you understand like, yes, this is fun. There's a risk involved. This could like set our season in a bad way. But yeah. like, wouldn't it be so great if we had more of those games in the in the non-conference schedule? Like, if you're a Washington fan getting to go to an Auburn game, that's phenomenal. That's what it's the game even, should be. It, it, it's in Atlanta, though. But oh, uh, it is. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, at the Mercedes-Benz Dome. But I, now I have heard of all the new NFL stadiums, the Mercedes-Benz Dome in Atlanta is really one of the best in terms of the way fans talk about it, the atmosphere, the environment. Um, it's right downtown near the College Football Hall of Fame. So I think for if if I'm going to have to see a college game at an NFL stadium, I think there there's a lot worse than Atlanta. How about Appy State at number ten, Penn State, Mike? I will defer to you on this one, Tim. Is this any any nerves here on this one? Penn State, twenty three point favorites. I think Appy State is the favorite to win their league again. I think they're a very good team. I think Penn State. Look, lots of people, as you know, are high on the Nits, mm-hmm. based on the idea that they're saying that Franklin has now had three great classes. We're going to start seeing that depth come through. I get that. I get that we have McSorley, who I think is a phenomenal player. Yep. Um, you're still replacing 
a generational player in Saquon Barkley, the best tight end we've had in 20 years in Mike Gusecki, and our all-time leading receiver in Deshaun Hamilton. It just doesn't mm-hmm. happen like that simple. So Penn State will win. It might be close. I agree. And also Penn State, correct me if I'm wrong, traditionally, historically, they seem to get off to slow starts. Yes. Um, yeah. and But also on game day yesterday, somebody, I can't remember who, was talk, was very, very high on the running back who's replacing Barkley. Obviously, he's not as good as Barkley, but they were they were excited to see him play. Miles Sanders. And also, we yeah. incoming uh, Ricky Slade, your freshman, will play a lot too. But we shall see, Mike. Number, how about this? Unranked Tennessee. At number seventeen, West Virginia. This is this is the Bristol game or no? Uh, no, they're no. playing this one at uh, the Panther Stadium in Charlotte. Oh Jesus Christ! Uh, I, I know West Virginia ten point favorite. <laughs> I have a little more to say about this uh, in a bit. Now, Mike, here's a game where the stakes are huge for both programs and both yep. coaches. Number fourteen, Michigan at number twelve, Notre Dame. First of all, I love they're playing again. They should play every year. Um, two, Harbaugh needs this win. Kelly needs this win. Both prog- programs optically need this win. I think it'd be an overstatement to say this game makes or break a season, but it'll be a hole to dig out of for either team that loses this game. This is a huge one. couple things. First of all, Michigan, a one-point favorite. I applaud the fact that this game is on campus in South Bend and not in a in a soulless NFL stadium in the middle of some irrelevant city like Kansas City or something like that. Um, that's that's fantastic. Game day will be there. That's a great setting for game day for week one, don't you think? Yes. Uh, here's the difference. So I compare this to the Auburn-Washington game. Whoever loses that Auburn-Washington game, and you say this all the time, Tim, it's going to hurt, but then they can reload and say, well, you know what? That was not a conference game. We can still win our conference, and if we win our conference, we, you know, we could likely go to the playoff. For Notre Dame, if they lose this game, that's, that's their a, year. It's, a, it's doubly devastating for yes. them because they have no conference title to play for. Uh, but I agree, but Michigan needs a marquee win under Harbaugh. This is going to be an awesome, awesome game. Uh, it will be kicking off at 1230 in the morning on Sunday morning in uh in uh ireland uh, where i'll be and that wouldn't that be cool maybe to find some notre dame fans and want to try and watch it at 12 30 yes we'll get that later mike i have, I have thoughts on that um <laughs> how about louisville at number one alabama what's the line here first of all 25 tied favored by 25 um i wouldn't touch this game no, <laughs> i wouldn't touch I heard it. a guy on the radio really really loves alabama plus the 25 a uh, Saban does not kind of run it up or cover these early games. You know, they dominate right. and win by maybe 17 points, something like that. Um, and Louisville has a very, very heralded quarterback coming in, right? Um, and these running quarterbacks have given fits historically to Alabama. Now, I don't think Louisville's going to win the game or even threaten, but I think they could easily cover that 25. Finally, late game, Mike, Navy at Hawaii. I love it. Awesome, awesome matchup. Uh, I would love to, to to watch this game now. Hawaii again. They looked great last night in Week Zero. Tough game for t- a long trip to go from Annapolis to Honolulu. Coach Ken Niamatololo returning home to his native Hawaii. Spectacular matchup. I, I wish I could stay up to see it. Mike, so the, the program is getting long now. So we'll do this quickly. I want to get your your conference picks for the the uh, the Power Five, and we'll go through it real quick. All right. So okay. I want you, I'm going to name a conference. I'm going to give you your I want you to give me your pick and then your 
second pick. Does that make sense? No, I was not prepared for my second pick. <laughs> It'd be more spontaneous that way. How about this? The ACC, Mike. Who wins the ACC and who is next? Clemson wins the ACC without a doubt. Uh, I, go, I guess I'll go with Miami. They beat. I'm going to go Clemson, and I th- I like Taggart at Florida State. I think Florida State um, things could go on the uh, upward trend there. How about the Big Ten, Mike? Tough one in the Big Ten this year. Wisconsin over Penn State. I'm going to go uh, Michigan, Wisconsin. Oh, interesting. Uh, Big 12. I'm, this is where I'm throwing a curveball. I'm taking TCU. Not Texas Christian University. No. But TCU. I think they'll, they'll come in first, uh, maybe over Oklahoma or possibly West Virginia second. I am going Mountaineers, Mike. I think it'd be a great story if the Mountaineers won the Big 12. So I'll go them and then TCU. How about the SEC? I think we're going to see reversal of fortune from the national championship game last year. I'm taking Georgia over over Alabama. I am going Auburn and then Alabama, Mike. Auburn and Alabama. Okay. Finally, the Pac-12. Maybe the most interesting wide-open conference of the year. Wide open. I was right. just going to use that exact term. Uh, I, w- I would... I'm gonna I'm gonna lean towards Stanford and the and the South is just so wide open. I'll take I'll take USC, but it wouldn't surprise me if Arizona got in there. I'm going Washington and UCLA. Ah, even in year one, you're sold on Chip, huh? Right. So Mike, now the hard part. Give me your college football playoff final four and your national championship pick. My final four: Clemson, Alabama, Wisconsin, and I will throw in the wild card of Stanford. And the national champion will be the Clemson Tigers. Go ahead. Make fun of me. No, no. I think it's fine. No, no. It's fine. No, no. It's fine. Um, so I'm going to go Michigan, Auburn, Washington, Clemson. And then I will pick Auburn. Interesting. I guess I will go Clemson as well for the national title, Mike. Wow, we both agree on the Tigers. How about that? Well, right. a lot of other people agree with us there, too. Yeah. All right, Mike. Now, last year, our picks, lock of the weeks. What was your record? My record was eight wins, seven losses, two pushes. Uh, your record, 11 wins, six losses, 64%. You had a spectacular year picking. Our career numbers, uh, we've been doing this since 2012. Actually, the first two years, for some reason, you didn't make a pick, or I didn't track <laughs> them. So I've been doing it since 2010. 79, my lifetime record, 79 wins, 66 losses. That's a clip of 54%. You've picked since 2012. You're 56 and 49. That's a lifetime record of 53%. Very impressive. Both of us solidly over 50%. I'm, I'm uh, very impressed by myself. So at my curse, again, so I think you are a little bit more attuned to this stuff than I am. So usually I, yes. I, I make my pick literally in the two minutes before we make our picks in the show. <laughs> that's, when I do, that's when I do my research for the show. <laughs> so, um, but just a cursory glance at the lines for this week. There's a cornucopia of games that are attractive from a betting Ooh. standpoint, Mike. What do you like? And good use of the word cornucopia. I mean, I, Houston Rice is intriguing to me. <laughs> well, what's I don't even see the line on that. What's the line on that one? So it's uh, Houston minus twenty-five, which is a big number okay. to me. Yeah, you um, like rice. Ohio State, Oregon State, to me is intriguing. Um, you would like the Beavers to cover the thirty-seven. Texas, Maryland, also is intriguing. Um, I think West Virginia minus ten versus Tennessee is a somewhat surprisingly large number. 
right? Uh, I would agree with you there. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, a lot of games. The aforementioned, I think, I mean, Penn State minus 23. I wouldn't, I don't know, 23 is a lot to me for that game. So uh, there's much to choose from. Um, Let's hear your official pick. I think I'm going to go ahead and go with the Houston Rice game. <laughs> I'm taking Rice to cover 25. Rice plus 25. Bold bet. Right. Bobby, hit the bumper. Plays bets on college football. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir. I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. What do you mean you don't bet? I mean, I don't bet. You know, I don't gamble. I don't. Push I never push have, push and I never will. Yeah, right. The Mike Unger 50 50 possible rock probably loser of the week. Tim, for my inaugural 2018 Lock of the Week, we are going to the Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte, North Carolina. We're home of the of the Carolina Panthers, and this weekend, home to a matchup between Tennessee and West Virginia. West Virginia is is your your classic darling, sexy off off season pick. Everybody loves them, uh, rightfully so, with their quarterback, their wideout, and their and their wacky head coach. Tennessee coming in a little under the radar after a terrible season and a, and, a, and a very ugly coaching search, right? But I think Jeremy Pruitt might turn out to be a blessing in disguise that they got him. I heard Jeremy Pruitt interviewed for the first time in my life on the radio. Thick Southern accent. Fits in perfectly in Tennessee. And based on that accent alone, I'm taking Tennessee plus 10. I think the number is too high. I'm going with the balls to cover that number. Level of confidence, Mike. I'm going to go with a seven on that. Uh, that the the, uh, the accent is very very inspiring. It's a good like week one level of confidence. You've got to feel good going into the year, right? Right, exactly. By the end of the year, my my confidence is usually about two or three. What are your thoughts on my Rice Houston pick? <laughs> I, I'm surprised <laughs> that you, that you picked that game, and I don't really have a lot of thoughts on, on Rice. <laughs> Finally, you mentioned you're traveling when you're leaving when for Ireland. I'm leaving on Thursday. Today is Sunday after after week zero, so I'm leaving on uh, on Thursday. And what's what's your uh, agenda? I have to know. Well, we're gonna spend just one day in Dublin, All and right. we're gonna go, of course, go to the Guinness Brewery and do like a pub pub tour. Uh, I'm not sure what kind, but then we're renting a car and driving to a couple towns, Dingle, Killarney, and then we're gonna wind up in Shannon. And we're basically just gonna do a couple hikes, see some scenery, uh, eat, drink, listen to music, and be merry. Wait, the, uh, when are you going to England? The same trip? No, no, no. England would be in January. Oh, uh, okay. I was confused, Mike. Yeah, yeah. No, this is a different trip. All right. Well, enjoy. Ireland's a wonderful place with the best people. They're so nice. Yes, I cannot wait to, to meet the people. And I will be curious to see if anyone at all is in, is watching any college football or, in, or even cognizant or aware of college football uh, on Saturday. In Dublin, Dublin's essentially like it's, it's you know, you're – it's like New York, right? Yeah, it's we, like, we won't be there on Saturday, though. We'll, we'll, we'll be, uh, I'm not sure which town, but Dublin just Friday. Right, so the smaller towns, you'll be pressing your luck to find a game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I think but, it'll, it'll be fun to find out. Exactly. All right, folks, can't say how happy we are to be back. Um, find our Facebook page. I think my wife, Erin, is starting an Instagram page. I'm going to be active on Twitter. I'll be posting a big story this week about how spotting the ball in football is complete and total guesswork. Right, Mike? I can't yeah. wait for this one to come out. I've been working on this for like three months now. Um, <laughs> I love that you keep calling it a triste. <laughs> yes. Um, I found myself – so I was I was focused – so not quick aside here, Mike. 
as you know, I took my dad recently to go see the um, the Firestone Bridgestone uh, golf event in Akron. Right. Right. It was, it was fantastic. We saw Tiger. We saw Phil. We saw Bubba. We saw all these guys. Right. And it's fun seeing golf live. The one thing that was not great was we were in the um, the Grey Goose Vodka Lounge on the 14th hole, right? So the lounge abutted the tee box for the 14th. So we would like be there at the bar, have our drinks. Players would come tee off. We'd go see them tee off. And it was cool seeing them hit the ball, but you can't see the ball at all, right? Because the ball is just going too fast. Contrast that with watching golf on TV now with that amazing like laser follows the ball thing. How oh, cool yeah, is that? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. And the, the split screen. Yes. So they, they, they show the guy on the tee and then they show on the right part of the screen. Yeah, no, I love it. I love watching golf on TV. All based on lasers, Mike. All based on lasers. <laughs> are, if, you gonna, are, are you going to put that in the article? Now I, it's gone from I'm 30, so far into this. It's like, right. If you've seen the movie uh, Wonder Boys where Grady yeah. can't finish his novel, that's me on yes. this piece. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and where can we look for it when it is finally published? It'll be on our Old College Try site, which is on the Medium platform, but it will be posted on our social media. So it'll be easy enough okay. to find. Yes. But I, I have to finish it. My agent has to force me to finish it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll play the role of your agent. Thank you for listening, people. We're looking forward to another fun year. Mike, there's one thing to say. Haven't said it in a while. No. Pachas. Pachas. Pachas.